Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday as we continue through the Gospel of Luke. Good to have you with us. Good to see you guys. Appreciate you giving us some time as we look at the Gospel together. Uh, one of those passages today, um, each Gospel has one or more sections, which um, could be, how would you characterize it, Michael? I, I, yeah, I mean, you'd have to say negative. I think some people would would label a passage like this negative. But it, it's a passage in which Jesus expresses warning, condemnation, unhappiness. Um, in Matthew and Luke, these are summarized with the with a very short word, woe. And the woes are woven through this passage. Um, and so Jesus, this is one of those moments where we catch Jesus saying some hard things, uh, some difficult things to hear, certainly some difficult things to understand in some cases. But we will work our way through and we'll see what we can find and see what it says to us today. So we're in the 11th chapter, 37th verse. It says here, while he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. So he went in, took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that Jesus did not wash before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not the one who made the outside make the inside? So give alms for things that are within, and see everything will be clean for you. So this it, this continues yesterday's theme a little bit. Yesterday we had this passage on the light of the body and being light inside instead of dark inside, the, the clash between light and dark. And we continue that theme in a sense today with the idea of inside and outside. And there's this moment that hand washing here is not just a good idea. That's a ceremonial thing. It's a ritual thing. It was required um, of Jews before dinner. And some of them evidently made a show of it. Jesus does not, and he he hears the thoughts of the host who is sort of judgmentally thinking, why doesn't Jesus follow our customs? Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to do? And then Jesus launches into what I think is probably well-known for people who read the Bible. This is probably an image that you've heard in the other Gospels. You clean the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside unclean. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. And again, continuing that idea of what is inside, of what guides us spiritually, what fills our souls, and what is it that we set our compass to. And Michael, I I don't know what else really we add to this other than um, another clear instance where Jesus doesn't want to talk about appearance, but wants to talk about what is at the heart. And I, and I think that's helpful language. So a theme that is dominant in Jesus's encounters with the religious leaders, Clint, is hypocrisy. And this is a clear, almost distilled version of that theme, because here Jesus takes to task the religious leaders for the things that they are displaying, but not the things that are at the deepest core of who they are. Examples of that here that we've had thus far, this idea of public cleanliness, which is this part of ritual cleanliness, this idea 
of uh, looking and and making our bodies reflect a kind of cleanliness. That idea, Jesus is accusing them of making external and not ex- internal. And then this idea in verse 41 here, give alms for those that are th- within, uh, everything will be clean for you. This, this idea, uh, once again, it's a ritual expectation that you give. And this idea that when you do that publicly or when you do that in a way that uh, is showy, that it in that moment becomes something that's more about you than about the actual purpose of the task itself. And Clint, one way that this has been interpreted amongst the church, and, and we'll see this more as we continue on, but one way that this has historically been interpreted is look at how bad the Pharisees are. Look at how bad these people are, and look at how badly Jesus needs to come and he needs to reprimand them. The problem with that interpretation is it fails to see the inherent critique of Christians as well, the idea that we too might become more fixated in the rituals of faith or the regular practices of faith than in the living out of the faith itself. Um, I, I think it's worth noting that it's important we not make enemies of these people because in Jesus's day, the Pharisees were far closer to Jesus in his theology than any other group of Jewish leadership. I mean, some of the things that the Pharisees believed were things that Jesus also taught and believed. And so there's actually a lot of similarities there. This critique seems to be because of his closeness to them as opposed to his distance from them. And that kind of thing is a very, I think, compelling critique if we are tempted ourselves to make this about uh, finger pointing it. Look at how bad they are, and we don't find the critique to ever land on ourselves. The scriptures are particularly hard on people who lead for their own purposes, for their own glory, for their own self-interest. And we have here a, a section, six woes, and the, the word woe is, it's a lot of things packed together in a small word. It's warning. It It is... Um, a rebuke. It, it is a, a negative word. It is the the sense that something is going to happen to them, or that they stand under condemnation. So we we move into these, and in each one, Jesus not only tells us something about the Pharisees, but as you rightly you know point out, Michael, he gives us a warning for ourselves as well. So um, verse forty two, we start to see this: Woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the other. And so this is the condemnation or the criticism of being faithful with little things, being wrapped up over details, and yet missing the point of saying, I'm going to tithe to the, to the smallest kernels of spices. And yet, I'm not going to be fair to my neighbor. I'm not going to live a just life. And so th- this is a condemnation of a, of a religion that is legalistic, and yet in its legalism is immune from doing the right thing, that protects itself with little things, with small thinking and small-mindedness. And, and that is so in contrast to what Jesus understands and teaches as faith that he calls it out here, and he he accuses the Pharisees 
of being faithful in small things while neglecting the big things. Because they're missing the point, right? Ultimately here in verse 42, what we see is they're doing the thing, they're tithing, they're giving of what has been given to them, even to your point, Clint, in the small, tiny aspects of life. And yet, what are they neglecting? The justice that is intended to be reflected by these actions. In other words, you get so fixated on the doing that it becomes separated from its meaning. And Jesus is so critical of these leaders because they are the ones responsible for the proclamation of the meaning, for the carrying on, the observance of the deepest realities of faith. And it is these leaders who have completely left that post unmanned. They are fixated on the tiny, small details of life, and therefore they miss God's ultimate call for justice, which we see time and time again. It's not reflected directly in this text, but indirectly, I think it's here, and it's certainly explicit throughout the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus's vision for justice extends actually beyond Israel. And the Pharisees can't even get beyond the daily, small, tiny tithing of, of you know, essentially what we would call your your herbs, you know, your your seasonings, these kinds of things, and and they're fixated on that as the letter of the law, and not the God of the law, the one who's the giver and the uh, one who furthers the law. I think essentially what Jesus says here is you're being faithful in little things and being unfaithful in the big things. And this isn't Jesus dismissing the other things. Notice you should be faithful with both, but it is to say that a faith that only practices the minutiae is not a a life-giving faith. It's not a just, righteous kind of faith. And probably should also point out, Michael, that in criticizing the Pharisees and calling them out by name, Jesus is um, running the risk of angering people. The Pharisees are a pretty respected class of people. They have a significant amount of religious standing and religious power. And so to be so obvious in critiquing them is going to draw attention to Jesus in in all kinds of ways. So then the next thing we see here, woe to you Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Again, a a, a self-aggrandizing faith, a self-congratulating faith, a faith that is about being noticed, a faith that is about getting attention making sure people know that you're important, making sure people know you are there, that that this is the wrong motive, that this is simply not faith. This is self-serving, and it's not God-honoring. And so a, a pretty stinging critique here of a, of a kind of put-yourself-in-the-middle approach to, to religion. This is a little bit of deep water and... You know, I gotta just caution. I, this is stepping certainly outside of Luke's intention, but it, it the spirit of this comment is to bring this into our present experience. And you know, a question that this raises for me, Clint, is what would Jesus have to say about a world in which so much of our lives are lived in a kind of public display mm-hmm. when we broadcast ourselves when we take. 10, 100 pictures a day and then share that in circles that are, you know, maybe our closest friends and family, maybe sometimes to the internet writ large. The fact that you and I right now are broadcasting this 
to the internet in a way that gets stored and people come and watch later. There is a temptation in our lives to do this self-aggrandizement, to have the seat of honor, to be greeted with respect. We, we do in our culture put celebrities at such an incredibly high level that I think words like this, at least in our time and place, as they have throughout all time resonated, I think in our time and place, Clint, there should be a warning for us in this. We should be cautioned for when we desire to be lifted up, to be pointed out, to be clearly uh, celebrated by others in places of honor and, and aggrandizement. That's so built into culture and such a significant part of our leadership and idea of authority right now that I think words like this from Jesus should certainly command our respect and attention. Yeah, I, I think that you know, the implication is pretty clear that if we're going to live a public faith, which we should, it ought to match with our private faith. You know, we ought not find ourselves praying over dinner at some restaurant and then practice gluttony and leave no tip just because people won't notice those things. If we're going to put a cross or a fish on our car, we should drive graciously in a way that respects... It, it, this is The idea here is that what we portray to the public and what we do in private ought to match, that there ought to be coherency between being perceived as a person of faith and actually living as a person of faith. And this is a this is a damning criticism against the Pharisees, the idea that they practice mm-hmm. for recognition. Um, you know, that that's Jesus being his least generous. We know that there are well-meaning Pharisees, but as Jesus sees some of the practice of some of the Pharisees, he's moved to, to condemn it as self-serving. Then we move to the next one, woe to you. You're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without realizing. So, again, maybe you grew up with this. I did. When we went to cemeteries, I was told never step you know, in front of the gravestones, don't walk on a grave. It was kind of an old sign of respect, maybe even superstition. But what Jesus is saying here is that the Pharisees don't give people good bearings. They don't give them good directions. They don't function for people as signs, and they fail as leaders because they're unmarked graves, and people people break the law. People offend God without realizing it because the Pharisees aren't helping them. The Pharisees are so busy doing these other things for themselves to make themselves feel spiritual and to get the attention of others that they're not actually fulfilling their purpose, which is to show people what a life of faith looks like and help guide them. Well, and we've already had this language about washing your hands and this ritual uh, purity. Another thing that we might not know because it's not built into our culture is that within that strain in Israel, there was also this idea that one might be unpure if you stepped onto an Mm. unmarked grave. And so there's a really fascinating kind of critique in this statement. What Jesus is saying is that people are following you, they are finding your faith compelling, and they are unwittingly walking over dead graves, that they're unwittingly making themselves unpure, impure, because of your impurity. And that, Clint, is fighting words. That That is Jesus certainly putting the Pharisees on notice that he has something to say to them. And 
This is one of the really interesting components of Bible study, I think, is because we read all of the gospel, and depending upon how closely we read and how deeply entrenched in the text we are, Clint, we might actually get to the Holy Week, as we call it, or those last days before Jesus' life. In some ways, we might wonder to ourselves, what in the world? Why is this so serious? How does this man end up dying for what to us seem like not that significant of crimes? And the case I would make, Clint, is if we read this text and we hear the sharp critique in these woes of people who had great standing, in fact, they were respected in the seat of honor. They were greeted with respect in the marketplace. That was a thing that actually happened, that when Jesus offered this kind of stinging rebuke, this is the thing that now will move into motion the processes that will lead Jesus to his death. So let's not miss how significant of rhetoric this is. Jesus has identified those people in power who are enjoying the power and not standing on behalf of the people. And by calling them out in this way, he's initiated the kind of public rebuke and alienation and political response, which is ultimately going to end with his own death and his own trial. Well, I think it would be, it might be easy to read over what an insult or how insulting these words are, you know, but think them through. He Jesus has just criticized the Pharisees for wanting to be important. You want the best seats. You want the honor. You want respect in the marketplace. But you are like unmarked graves. Uh, I, no surprise, who's in an unmarked grave? Somebody of no importance, somebody of no connection, nobody of notoriety, nobody of of true importance is going in an unmarked grave. And so Jesus is saying here, you think you're one thing, but you're another thing. You, you're, you're irrelevant. You don't matter. You're an unmarked grave, and people walk over you without realizing it. So it's both a critique of their leadership, but also an insult mm-hmm. of, of this desire for them to try and be something that they're not. Um, Let's try to get through one more, Michael. Verse 45 here, one of the lawyers, and and when the Scripture says lawyers here, it means, this is tough for us, but sort of religious expert, an expert in the law. In Jesus' day, in Jesus' tribe, in in Judaism of Jesus' day, the idea of secular law and religious law is not a distinction. Um, the, The idea is that there is law, and law is God's law. Yes, there are Roman laws, et cetera, but... The, the Jews are deciding things to the best of their ability through the lens of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And so when this says lawyer, it's not what we think of. It is a religious expert, a non, maybe a non-Pharisee, maybe not, but this group of people. So one of them answers Jesus, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And he said, woe also to you, lawyers, for you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. And again, here, not just a critique of leadership, which is valid, but of religious leadership. You put these burdens on people. You tell them what to do, and you don't do it. Again, the hypocrisy. Not only do you not do it, you don't help them do it. 
You put things upon people that you're not willing to bear, which is the mark for Jesus of hypocrisy, of poor leadership, of uh, abuse and oppression of people. And so this, again, is, is a pretty stinging critique. You are quick to load others down, but you won't do anything to help. And it, again, the form of faith without the substance of faith. And that's always going to set Jesus off, and he's always going to have hard words for that. This is another way of saying what you said, but maybe it puts it in a different perspective so we can see it differently. Whenever Jesus encounters someone who is using religion as a tool to any end, any end, furthering one's own power, furthering one's own self of importance, furthering one's own deepest brokenness, to use that word, abuse uh, of, of others in any way. When Jesus encounters religion that is used as a tool, he decries it unequivocally and and with very strong language. For Jesus, religion is at its core always an encounter with the living God. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us, Clint, because Jesus Christ is the human encounter with the living God. That is what the Gospels are trying to do. They're trying to show us what happens when humans encounter God. And one of the effects of humans encountering God is we see in clear light of day the brokenness of the religious tool that has been used to oppress. And so here, when Jesus offers this stinging rebuke of the lawyers, he's not fundamentally against studying the law. He's not against the idea of intellectual. He's not against the idea of deeper study. In fact, Jesus is the definition of wisdom. What Jesus is saying in words like this is that you should not put on others a burden that they can't bear. Because by the way, who's the one who bears the burden? Jesus is. And so that's the, the turn that happens. And I think that that's the thing that we see in a much more clear light when we see these woes that Jesus offers, is that he's not against religious ordering of life. He's against it when that ordering is used against the people it was designed to serve and help in their encounter with the living God. And Jesus makes it very clear his perspective on it. When you care more about the laws than you care about the people, then you're creating a scenario in which you're not helping people. You're judging them. You're pointing out their sin. You're pointing out their failures, but you're not actually helping them get better. So when you care more about people's failures or people's responsibilities than you care about the actual people, you're practicing a way, a ministry of leadership that is flawed through the lens of the gospel. It's, it doesn't work. The, the, the point of the gospel is that God loves people. And yes, God has a way that God wants them to live. But when you care more about their shortcomings than their souls, you're, you're off of the Jesus path. We want to thank you for making it this far with us in the study here today. If you found this content helpful, please do like, subscribe here on YouTube. That helps other people find the content that you found helpful. We really appreciate that. As a word of update for those of you who are with us every day for this study, remember that tomorrow 
We will not be having our live study as we are going to take a break day, but we will be tomorrow at this time, two o'clock, releasing the first of a new series that we are trying. Uh, uh, and tomorrow's topic is the discussion of deconstruction, faith deconstruction. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means and what that might have to teach us about our faith. So certainly hope that you will avail yourself of that if you find it interesting, and then you'll join us as we continue on our study of Luke together on Thursday. Until then, be blessed. Thanks, everybody. 